Hi, this is Felicia, co-founder and co-CEO of She Geeks Out. I am checking in with all of you today. It's Monday, June 1st, and I wanted to share a quick note on the conversation that you're about to listen to between myself and Rachel. We had this conversation and recorded it last week, and a lot of what we talked about related to things that were present and top of mind for us last week. This happened before a lot of the violence and protests and uprising and unsettlement that was taking place this past weekend. So I just wanted to share that with you to give you a little bit of context to our conversation and especially to make sure that you're aware of the background behind this conversation in case there's anything that might seem a little off or not necessarily completely relevant to a lot of what else we are thinking about and talking about and sharing out today, June 1st. So with that being said, carry on, enjoy the conversation, and thank you for listening. Well, hello, Felicia. Hey, Rachel. Where are you broadcasting from today? I am broadcasting from my closet. The street in front of my apartment is getting ripped up, and the way that my living space is set up, there's no room that doesn't have windows where you can hear what's happening. And actually, it was also shaking for a little bit. So I scoped out this little spot, and I'm hiding in my closet. It's pretty cozy. Well, I love seeing all of the dresses that I used to see you wear all the time last year. So um, especially the heart one is one of my favorites. I know, the heart one. I do have some pretty dresses. I have to start thinking about switching up my clothing a little bit because it's gotten quite warm here in Boston. So trying to move away from the sweatpants and into the dresses, into the shorts and see what's still fitting me. Well, this is the challenge. Well, this is the challenge of the COVID era. You know, it's we don't have to wear bras. We only people only see the top halves of our body for like 90% of our waking time. It's a totally different world. So um, and I just wanted to take a few minutes to talk with you before we bring our lovely guest on Edie Stringfellow, who's director of diversity inclusion at MassBio. Um, and thought that we could just catch up because the world is so crazy. Yeah, we and haven't been one of these podcast catch-ups in a while either. No, and we've all been feeling a lot of feels lately. So, And I know that a lot of the people who are listening are also feeling feels. So what feels are you feeling? Uh, thank you for asking. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm feeling... Well, I shouldn't say I don't know. I think... <laughs> let me just unpack that for a quick hot sec because... I think I appreciate you you carving out the space for us to talk about this because a lot of times I think when we react and we say, I don't know, it's too much, I can't do this, what, you know, or we ignore things is because we, we don't want to or we don't have the opportunity to sit with the feels and sort of see what it is. So, so if I were to really truly sit with my feels and unpack it, I would say I'm feeling tired, um, which I think is obviously we're operating in a pandemic. So that's the underlying theme of everything, yeah. but also just really tired because we're recording this in end of May and this just this week we've had two two pretty distinct things happening here in the US, which has been first was um, the viral video taken in Central Park of Christian Cooper uh, by a woman, Amy Cooper, who threatened to call the police on him. Um, because he had asked her to leash her, her unleashed dog. And then secondly, George Floyd, who was murdered by the police in Minneapolis and now dealing with the fallout of both of those things and compounding with all of the other terrible things that have been happening um, 
since the beginning of time. So I yeah. just really feeling tired and I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm feeling frustrated, I would say. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of times we try to sort of see what the silver lining is or try to be really optimistic, but I'll be really honest. Like I went to bed last night and I try not to do this because it's a really bad habit and it doesn't really lend itself to, um, to taking care of oneself. But I went to bed and was going to read a physical real book before I went to sleep. And instead I ended up just doing a no. swan dive no. into the pool. Of, tr- of Twitter. No! And, <laughs> and on the one hand, it was really important, and it was, I, I, I made that choice. Um, I thought it was important to bear witness to what conversations were happening and see what people were, how other people were feeling and people who have more um, direct connection to some of this than I do, but, but really also listening. And we had an event last night, actually, which was all about allyship as DEI practitioners. And I think that was a really um, sort of common thread that came out of the conversation, which was part of the work of being an ally is listening. And so I was trying to practice that and do that work. But you know, it's hard. Just choose your timing. Just choose your, just maybe not right before bed. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Oh yeah. And then I had some weird dreams about work. So anyway, that's how I'm doing. So let me take a pause. How are you doing? What's going on with you? I feel that you feeling well um i'm in a similar boat as you i don't think i've been this upset about humanity since the inauguration and i make that distinction between the last election and the last inauguration because as you know and a lot of other people know i was very optimistic i wasn't very optimistic but i was definitely not pessimistic once trump became president i was like they're gonna sit him in the room they're going to tell them all the things and then it's going to be like everybody else and it's going to be fine. And then the inauguration happened and that whole first week he was like, oh, I'm king. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was wrong. And, um, you know, and I think what's similar for my feelings from then is that there, there's a sense that I, of hopefulness that I felt in the beginning of the this crisis that maybe we could all come together and like remember that we're all humans and that we're you know we're trying to support each other in this time and instead it's like oh no I was wrong again humanity is just awful <laughs> so I am tend to be as you know Felicia and as I think some of our listeners know a very optimistic person I definitely see the half glass full um, and in the beginning of this pandemic, I was like, let's do this. We're going to get all the events going. We're going to get these people some jobs. We're going to get, we're going to help. We're gonna, pe- people are going to feel supported. It's going to be so great. And, you know, I think with all of these, um, you know, just these terrible acts of brutality against our fellow humans um, and animals for what it's worth. Uh, It is, you know, it's really, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, But I cannot leave this conversation in just this way because uh, uh, I don't want to. Um, And I think that there, uh, there still is opportunity for, um, for creating community for those of, of us who need it and want it um, in a positive way and creating support and, and um, sharing our voices um, I think is really important and it helps 
I think others know that they're not alone. Um, and so I'm glad that we have this platform to do what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I'm usually a little bit sunnier. Well, I would say <laughs> yes, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and then the other thing I, was, I would say is, uh, you know, with your comment about humanity being terrible, I would say it's not really so much, in, in my take at least, I don't think it's so much that humanity as a whole is terrible. I think it's that the systems that some of us have built are really terrible. And that's really what's feeding a lot of what's going on right now. But on the flip side of it, to try and bring in that maybe more slightly positive spin on what is <laughs> happening, um, what something I've been thinking about a lot, um, and I've been talking about a lot with my partner is how, you know, it's so interesting with what's happening right now. Um, we've been kind of joking between ourselves how doomsday preppers are like freaking the F out because they've literally been planning their entire lives for this exact situation to happen, but they've been planning for this situation to play out really differently. Mm -hmm. So they've been planning that anarchy will reign supreme and that they will have to violently defend their people against others, right? And so mm -hmm. that's what doomsday preppers and all this stuff is all about is stockpiling your food, barricading your home, shutting off contact, getting guns, stockpiling the guns, shooting people, right? Like that's that whole mentality of a lot of these prepper people out there. <laughs> and what's been so ironic, and I think to me that that heartwarming piece of it is that this is showing that instead of, and I'm not going to say this is true for everyone, because of course that's not the case, but what we're seeing overall is that we're actually coming together and collaboration is where you see the humanity, where, you know, there's countless neighborhood groups that have sprung up that are mutual aid groups, where yeah. people are just sharing resources, sharing kindness, sharing communication, sharing food, sharing whatever. Um, you know, people are checking in on each other more. I personally, I've been living in my apartment for about a year now, and I'm, I've gotten to know my neighbors in such a deeper way than we would have if this hadn't happened, and we're sharing our own resources and, and just checking in. And I think that idea of collaboration is so... Uh, is so horrible for these doomsday prepper people because that's the thing that they weren't counting on is that one faced with destruction and the end of the world, humanity or, you know, at least a large groups of communities are actually coming together as opposed to splintering apart. Now, of course, there are, there is a lot of splintering happening and I don't want to discount any of that because there's still, there's so much happening right now, but that's kind of what I've been trying to keep in my head is that, um, you know, at the end of it, we are like, we're all looking for those points of connection. And I think that's where so much of this tension lies is because um, we're not necessarily all understanding what's going on underneath when people say certain things or act in certain ways or why people are reacting. Anyway, I could go was, on forever. No, but. it was so good because thank you for, you know, talking me down because that's, it is really important to, to, to remember that because, well, um, <laughs> It, and, and, you know, it's frustrating because you're right. It's not, it's not all of humanity. It is the people who are in power. And so I've, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, it's capitalism that's doing this. And it's like, well, no, if we were in a monarchy or in any other form of government, like, or even a communist state, they're like, oh, everything's even in a communist state. It's like, well, no, there's still going to be people who live in mansions and castles, <laughs> people who still have power and are going to want to hold on to that. Um, and so I think that's, that's really the struggle that I'm 
feeling is like, you're right to your point. It's like the people who are creating these systems and wanting to maintain them um, is that's, that's really the, the hard part. And I am hopeful that, um, that communities will, we can, we can band together to, um, to take care of each other in all the ways that we need to. So um, I want to quickly mention this, this cartoon that I posted on my Instagram the other day. Um, there's this artist who I really love named Sarah Henderson. And uh, partially why I love her so much is because one of her main characters is like this, this like round little person with spiky black hair. So I like to imagine it to me, but anyway. Um, and so this, this cartoon that she created, I just, it really spoke to me. And I think it's really relevant to what we're talking about. So it's four panels. The first panel is a little person and above it, it says optimist. Second panel is her little spiky haired person. And it says pessimist. Then the third panel is both of them standing together underneath the banner that says 2020 and there's flames in the background. And then the final panel is a little spiky haired person going to the optimist and saying, Neil. And I just thought it was so hilarious because, and I don't mean this to disparage your optimistic outlook, but definitely I think in our relationship, you're the optimist, I'm the pessimist. It's true. <laughs> no, well, and it's actually what's been really interesting. Mark was telling me this. Um, yesterday, he said that this has actually been a really, really difficult time for people who are optimistic because it's completely, everything is completely challenging their worldviews as opposed to people who tend to view the world in a more anxious, more pessimistic with Honestly, so yes, you're, you're right. I feel like people with anxieties, and I will, will count myself as one of them, are basically like, I've been preparing for this my entire life. So you're the correct prepper <laughs> is what I'm hearing. I mean, maybe, maybe. Um, I just feel like coming at this as someone who's always been a worst case scenario, I'm like, yeah, didn't quite think this would be the worst case scenario, but definitely have thought through worst case scenarios. I mean... Not to make light of it, but I think back in January, late January, early February, you and I were both on the same page. We were preparing our go bags. Like yeah. that's what I thought I had to prepare for was like I honestly thought that what I would have to deal with would be coronavirus spiking and then the National Guard coming in and like taking mm -hmm. us somewhere. So that's yeah. what I thought would happen. And so I still have two go bags that I prepared for myself, my partner, and the cat. Like I've even got, I've got cat shit in this bag, right? And so like my plan was to be able to like grab it and go and be fine with like medicines and whatever. And guess what? Those go bags have just been sitting here because that's not actually what I needed. I'm not scared. yet. Not I yet. Taken away yet. So, but well, you're in your closet. But I was uh -huh. prepping for a while. So yeah, when the first stay at home order came through in Massachusetts, I was like, got all the food. Great. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of expecting food shortage. That's that's where I was expecting things to, to go uh, down. But I, they... still, I still think it's going to happen. But uh, maybe that's my little prepper, anxious prepper coming through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm grateful that I live in San Diego. That is for sure, because if there's a place to have a pandemic, it's nice to be in Southern California where there's palm trees and an ocean and sea lions and dolphins to look at. So, and, and this is the other thing that's so messed up about all of it is that, um, you know, yeah, we're in this global crisis and it's both an economic and a public health crisis. And the toll that it's this is all taking on us all as, as people individually and collectively is enormous. And yet, 
I am not want for anything. I have all the Netflix. I have all of the internet. I have all of the food. And I'm not going to lie, I have all of the alcohol. So I am not want for anything, you know, like my biggest boohoo is what I can't go out to restaurants with my friends. Like, well, no, I mean, I think what you're want for is human connections besides your besides husband. Besides this. And <laughs> I mean, that's really what it's all about, you know? know, and I would say I'm with you. I I'm safe, secure. I have a great space. I have a loving partner, you know, everything's great as far as that or relatively great as far as that goes, but the area that, you know, is lacking or that's a problem, so to speak, is, you know, not being able to be with family, not being able to see friends, um, not being able to control what other people are doing. And I yep. think that's that's the hard part. And, and then layer on top of it, everything else that's happening in this world. I was chatting with a friend, um, a new friend earlier, who lives in Spain, and she was telling me about how their lockdown has started to come up a little bit so they've been able to actually like go out and interact and it was much more intense and much more strict than it's been here in the u.s at, in any place in the u.s and so she was like yeah we went for a drive and that was like a whole thing where we didn't mm. have to explain where we were going and it's like oh right like it was this used to be so normal for us and then it wasn't and now <laughs> it's so weird to think about this is such a luxury and, you know, interacting with family members and, and still not even being able to really hug or have that connection. And it's just, these are weird times and, you know, it's, everyone's dealing with something. So. That is true. That is true. And wow, poor Edie. We're going to, we're, this is the intro for <laughs> Edie. We love you. I think, and we <laughs> I think the conversation will live up to this intro. <laughs> I think so as well. Um, and I, I'm glad that we got to take a little bit of time and hopefully we can do some more of this. I know our hundredth episode is coming up soon too. And what? Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess if there's nothing else to add let's, at the uh, moment, let's, let's definitely, I mean, we're not going to completely switch gears because we get into some of this with Edie too, but let's did. switch gears a little bit and bring a third person into the conversation. I think that sounds great. Let's do it. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Felicia. And hi, Edie. Hi. We are so excited to have you on our podcast. It's, I feel like it's been a million years since we last spoke to you, hung out with you, and it's great to see you virtually. Um, I'd love to introduce you to our podcast listeners today. So our guest is Edie Stringfellow. You're the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at MassBio. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I love your program. Aww. Oh, thank you. The love Thanks. is mutual. Yes, agreed. Um, well, let's just get right into it. Look, first, we'd love to hear about your journey, what MassBio does, what your role as Director of Diversity and Inclusion looks like. Okay, well, that's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and we're like, there is. Just, Tell us everything. with a little bit light telling us all the things. <laughs> all right, exactly. then. Let's just get into it. My yeah. first 15 years of my career after undergrad was spent in uh, sports and entertainment. So I was very fortunate. I was the first black woman associate director at ESPN and NetOps production as well as international. So I loved my job, got a chance to travel the world, had tons of great experiences. I also had the opportunity to do freelance work and film. So I was an um, associate producer, a line producer for films. I've worked on several, but unfortunately my uh, oldest brother died from sickle cell disease and I just didn't understand what that meant. How could something 
still be around. I should have been cured a gazillion years ago. Mm -hmm. And how much the stigma was tied to having sickle cell disease. He was being treated as if he was a drug addict, that he was just complaining about pain just to complain. Mm -hmm. And so I decided right then and there that that isn't right. I've always been an advocate for others, for people who haven't been able to stand up for themselves. So right then and there, I decided to go back to graduate school and to learn healthcare, biotech, pharma, everything I needed to learn so that there isn't, I want us to get to the point there aren't more families that have to deal with what we have to deal with. Wow. Wow. Incredible. And I'm again, before we even go any further, so sorry to hear about your brother. Um, but was that decision, like how was that decision taken by your friends and your family? Because it seems like you were on this one track and then it's sort of like this complete opposite, you know, turn, which makes so much sense, of course. But was there any, like, were people supportive? Was there any pushback? Were you just like, I'm all in? Or did you have any doubts about that? It was caught off guard by everyone but anyone who knew me understood is just who i've been a part part of my life all my life even being a a little kid i'll stand up for just about anyone i got kicked out of the girl scouts because i was standing up for someone that was being bullied i was like whatever so i knew back then and i was going to be a little troublemaker but it was a troublemaker for good causes (laughs) i love that so much troublemaker (laughs) yeah i i got into a similar i get similar thing in seventh grade too when somebody else got bullied too i was it's funny when you do that when you're young right it's it leaves a a, an impression on you and it's it's remarkable that uh that that is something that that um that you did and because it's really difficult outside of the external pressures to, to make that decision internally. I'm curious to know how long were you in school for and what was that first job like? Um, how, did you, how did you deal with that transition? The transition was weird because I didn't know much about biotech, pharma, and healthcare overall, but I knew I wanted to go and make change. And one thing I learned when you grow up in Chicago, you learn a lot about politics. Mm-hmm. Politics is a full contact sport like our hockey and football teams. So you learned early on that everything takes place in public interest and public policy and law. So I got a job working in the legal field and I wanted to be mentored because I was behind the curve. I started pretty late in my career and I looked up who was the top lawyer in Massachusetts. And it said the attorney general of Massachusetts is the top lawyer, blah, blah, blah. So I called up out of the blue, uh, Scott Harshwager, and he was the former attorney general for Massachusetts and was working at a firm. And I called him up and asked him, would he mentor me? And he wanted to know if that was one of his students before at one of the, one of the classes he taught. And I said, no, I just said, I want to learn um, legality behind a certain industry, but I at least want to know the lay of the land when it comes to uh, pos- uh, wanting to push for change, wanted to draft law, wanted to have policy. How do you go about doing that? And he was just so confused and taken back that here's this strange person calling him out the blue. And I said, well, I'm so sorry to bother you. If you're not the number one attorney, then can you please point me in the right direction of the number one attorney? Uh we still have a great relationship to this day but he was disappointed i did not decide to go 
and to uh, go to law school and become a lawyer. <laughs> I just felt that my passions were driven elsewhere, but I at least wanted to have that foundation. And mm -hmm. from there, you learn about public policy from public policy, you learn about healthcare from healthcare, you learn biotech, biotech, you learn pharma. So it was a very interesting journey to get to this point. And I am very happy that I'm able to advocate for women, people of color, people from uh, that have diverse abilities, people who are veterans, people who are older. They have so much to contribute to making this world a such, such a special place, mm -hmm. contribute to making the quality of life of others longer and better. Mm -hmm. So everyone should be able to work in our field. Uh, rare diseases, is, is, it's rare. The diseases that we treat in biotechnology and pharmaceuticals are rare but the opportunity to fight them shouldn't be. Mm, right on. So I'm curious, um, because you mentioned the AG of Massachusetts, you also mentioned growing up in Chicago. So how did you get from Chicago to Massachusetts? And when you were going back to school after you sort of had this, this event happen in your life, you had this realization you want to make a, a shift, were you, did you have to go all the way back to undergrad or did you go into like a law program or a graduate program? I wanted to um, international relations because I knew if I did anything, I wanted to have a global effect. And what happens in China, what happens in Germany, what happens in Canada is going to affect us also about what happens in the United States because we're a melting pot. So that's mm -hmm. the reason I chose to focus on international relations and how do we go on about strengthening our relationships with other countries when it comes to fighting what we're in right now is a pandemic mm -hmm. and medical crises across right. the globe. Yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like I've definitely heard um, other people who had similar-ish stories, but have did made the choice to go into the research path. And so what I find really fascinating, and I love it, is that for you, you were like, I'm not going to go super narrow, but I'm going to go really broad because that will address the systemic issues that lead to these individual experiences and not just focus on one narrow small thing, which of course, like that's a fine pathway to go to. But it is interesting that you were faced with this this decision and you were like, I'm going to pull back and take the <laughs> 30,000 view approach to it, which is, is great. And obviously that brought you here today and you've been doing amazing things. So yeah, yeah. it's, um, I'm quite sure more people would have had more of a direct way, but this is the journey that I'm at right now. I feel really good. I feel as if I have a front seat to new scientific discovery. I get to meet amazing people that's working on amazing products and therapies to make us all healthier. Uh, the second to youngest brother is in sickle cell disease crisis right now. Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that I'm able to speak with those at Bluebird Bio, at Novartis, at Global Blood Therapeutics to follow their research. Mm -hmm. So it may not benefit him immediately right now, but there is going to be a drastic change of people dying and suffering from the disease the next generation on. Well, this is a perfect transition. I would love to hear more about exactly what MassBio does and um, and what your role as director of DNI uh, looks like. Sure, I'm not sure how familiar you are with MassBio. MassBio is a trade organization that represents over 1,300 companies that fall within a biopharma, medical device, digital health, academia, research hospitals. Uh, institutions, disease foundations, service providers. We're also in 
26 states and we also are represented in 12 countries due to our global members and we love the fact that our mission is advancing Massachusetts leadership in the life sciences. We are the life science capital of the world. We take very pride, very strong pride in that. And we know that comes with great responsibility to grow the industry as well as add value to the healthcare system and improve patient lives, increase patient outcomes. That's our role in uh, the ecosystem. And that's what we're going to do. As what I do at MassBio, I meet with members to discuss roadblocks, strategies, progress on what we call EDI, equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement. So my name happens to be those initials that you want to love with that. I was like, and was that intentional? <laughs> <laughs> clever. Very easy Very to remember. <laughs> so I share best practices across biotech and other industries. I bring together the life science community for tough dialogue. Some of the things that we have to talk about is not easy. Mm -hmm. And I serve as a resource and provide thought leadership and shift mindset. We have to change uh, our way of thinking that diversity and inclusion is a nice to do when it, it is a business priority. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a strategic way of having your business plans because if you have the best talent working for you, that means you're gonna be more innovative. And that comes from different perspectives, different backgrounds and different experiences. Mm -hmm. Love that. Absolutely. So it's really interesting. And I, you touched on this very briefly. I'd love to dig into this a little bit further. So right now we're in this, the middle of this global pandemic. And I feel like you know the biotech world is in this unique position to help and be part of the solutions for this crisis. Could you share a little bit about what your membership might be doing to address what's going on right now? We're very proud and we're working very hard to get the world back to our next, not that I don't want to go back to what normal was. We're going to get the world back on track to the next normal through development of effective vaccines and therapies. We are very much involved in that. We're very excited about it. Everyone works hard. Our membership is very eager to help the state's response to COVID-19, especially in bringing critical supplies, expertise to healthcare workers. So we've teamed up with MassMedic, Mass Hospital Association, the colleges of Boston's uh, training hospitals to create what's called the Life Sciences Emergency Supply Hub. So you had all these different organizations pulled together with the common goal of getting more protective uh, equipment, masks, gloves, uh, gowns, anything and everything to the front lines and those who are fighting this battle. And what we did was put out a call to action to our members and the broader life sciences community to donate PPE mm -hmm. and other supplies so that our healthcare workers can be on the front line of this pandemic and continue to test and treat patients with COVID-19. Wow. And if you're wondering how many companies have participated in that, over 500 companies offered to donate supplies, services, expertise, the state has now set up its own portal for companies to seek to donate supplies and all the requests for the supply, the supply hub are going through MEMA right now. That's the Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency. So it's been incredible to see the response to COVID-19. Over 70 life science companies in Massachusetts have joined the fight against COVID-19 and to develop diagnostics vaccines and therapeutic areas. So several of our members are working to have developed diagnostics to increase testing capacity. And that's one of the major concerns. Are we testing enough and fast enough and to provide results to patients quicker, more improved with this technology? And speaking of that technology, we're talking about re possibly repurposing other treatments that mm -hmm. will be able to 
uh, get to the patients sooner than vaccines and can help things get back to normal sooner. And right now, globally, 350 clinical trials worldwide are uh, testing treatments and vaccines in patients with hundreds more in the pipeline. And I also want to thank patients for volunteering to participate in these clinical trials because we need diversity in the clinical trials, people mm -hmm. from all different types of backgrounds so that we can know the efficacy and the mm -hmm. safety levels for these drugs. Mm -hmm. And the members um, with medical training are signing up to volunteer on the uh, front lines. So we're being very active and supportive uh, together. We, I've never seen collaboration to this level before ever and it feels good. That's, that's so wonderful. And I know that it's, it's such a challenge to even think for these companies. They're doing so much right now. And then you think of, you know, the ED or the diversity and inclusion and how, how that's important. I'm so glad that you raised that issue of making sure that there's diversity in, for, um, in who's actually participating in the clinical trials. Um, obviously, the workforce is under a lot of stress right now. And um, I know we talked a little bit before about um, how um, the, your, the members are, are still being engaged in acts of inclusion. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that as well. Um, sure, absolutely. We'd love to. I'm very fortunate and blessed to work in an industry that is patient-driven and passionate about improving the quality of life for billions of people around the globe. The life science company members and their employees and team members are the ones who are driving innovation and patient outcomes due to collective design approach from having different perspectives and experiences. Otherwise, you're going to have echo chambers of the same ideas going around and around and we're not progressing. Mm -hmm. So what I've been doing is conducting one-on-one -on -one virtual meetings with our executive leadership at the member organizations to check and engage how they're prioritizing their EDI efforts. And I also want to tell you that they are laser focused on alleviating fears, lifting spirits, and balancing productivity. They are experimenting with a blind interviewing, virtual onboarding, and expanding their relationships with external affinity groups. Organizations that are trying very hard to stay the course of their EDI strategies that they set out, and they're doubling down on well-being programs and supporting their employee resource groups. And when we say employee resource groups in the industry, we call them ERGs. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, mm -hmm. but the ERGs uh, are providing the service of being the safety net for the companies. They help me monitor emotional well-being of group members, uh, issues that are surfacing their needs and concerns and how to address the members who may represent also the older workers, those with disabilities, people of color, new families, and other type of employee populations. And the ERGs are being asked to keep their employees, uh, the com uh, community members connected and engaged. So we're being very active and doubling down on making sure of wholeness, wellness, and we want the, the, the uh, people to feel secure in, in what we're gonna be moving on to the next normal. Okay, love it, so thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm just curious, have you seen any organizations um, push back in any way? Because I know that there's this conversation that's happening now around um, 
how we should be continuing to think about and support DNI or DEI in organizations when at the same time, a lot of companies, no matter what the industry is, are in survival mode. And so one does not have to preclude the other. I'm just curious if you've seen any of that kind of conversation within your member organizations and, and what's that look like, or if everyone's just like, no, this is it, we're all in, we're focused on this, that spirit of collaboration. I can't speak on behalf of all the companies. One thing I can say for the majority of the companies I have spoken with, this is, this is what they're doing. It's like all hands on deck. Because mm -hmm. remember, if you set aside COVID-19, we still have 7,000 rare diseases that we have to take care of. We have people with cancer we need to take mm -hmm. care of. We have people like my brother with sickle cell disease that need to be taken care of. So right now it's an all hands on deck approach and um, everyone's being used in any way possible. People are collaborating and offering skill sets that we didn't even know we had until we had this virtual world. We're finding out different things about each other. And you also get a chance to learn about some of the things that companies are doing to retain people. Companies have offered uh, loaner laptops for people who don't have them and then have offered reimbursement costs for internet service because we are using more broadband or fiber optics depending on what town you're in and what you're using. So they also want to make sure that people that have physical, mental, emotional challenges have the tools and resources needed for them to be productive and balanced at home. So we're talking about people incorporating um, relaxed requirements that can be in positions. Some may not be operating with all the resources that they need and have access to those services that were in the office that you cannot duplicate while you're at home. So we wanna keep focus of that which is most important. And we also wanna keep the communications gap closed. We wanna make sure we're checking in with our team members on a consistent basis. We paying attention to concerns. We're apprised of any changes that are taking place within the organization, how they may be affected. So everyone wants to feel that they're part of the mission and part of organizations moving forward. A lot of companies are making sure that they are staying uh, focused on that and are definitely also incorporating a self-care. That means either you or your manager stress related issues to this new normal that we're in. And we're also noticing that that is an issue. And then we have to encourage people to take time to learn new hobbies, new languages, take professional development courses. So the companies have been serving as a resource to the employees too. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to building uh, up the teams and making sure everyone feels secure, psychologically safe, we make sure we are rejecting all these elements that's taking place right now. We're not just fighting the pandemics, we're fighting racism, we're fighting xenophobia, and we're fighting all types of hate and intolerance right now. So we have to make sure what I call that we're being upstanders and not bystanders. Right. As, mm -hmm. as Rachel said, that she was the same way since seventh grade. She's been standing up for people and that's the reason you have your organization. So I'm very happy to be here, but also want to reiterate that we should all be upstanders and not bystanders. Absolutely. And building community through, we're, let me think about this. I think we've had maybe so far four uh, coffee breaks, tea hours uh, with MassBio and our companies are doing the same thing. So you have a virtual check-ins. I saw one of our members have a virtual pet party, which I thought that was so <laughs> cool. So you're finding ways to keep people engaged within the company, but also finding out new things about your employees and your teammates. You know, it didn't even literally occur to me until right now that um, the work that the, the biotech community does 
I mean, I've seen a lot of people like in kind of hazmat suits anyway. Um, but you know that you're right. That work is hard. You can't really do that work from home. There's a lot of work. So there's so much safety concerns. There's, there's so much that needs to be done outside of what we think of for, you know, typical office work where you're just sort of doing that. So it's great that you're, you're balancing the community is balancing both the realities of having to take incredible safety measures in order to move forward on all of the the amazing R&D work it's doing plus also making sure that everyone's getting connected i think it's i think it's fascinating and um sort of leads me to the next question which is you know everything is changing so quickly do you have any thoughts around what the future of work might look like for the mass the mass bio community well we have been meeting with the leaders within the mass bio community organizations and mass bio is going to roll out a plan that's called reset and reset starts for restart economy safety through employee training and testing so we want to make sure that everybody's being safe no matter if you're manufacturing lab or production or in the offices we want to make sure that the members are coordinating and sharing best practices for essential life science workers and discuss how to use scaled up testing to return more employees to work. Um, as you can see, working in biotech, we realize how important testing is. So for months, labs will have to alter their operations to keep employees safe. And these best practices will help guide employers through this process. For individuals that are not in laboratory roles, working from home will likely become much more commonplace than we have seen in the past. And companies will begin to embrace more remote work and realize how productive people can be remotely. And that productivity can increase when people are offered more flexibility. I don't have young kids, but I can only imagine what I went through when I did have a young kid and still having to have those responsibilities. And I just think it's very comforting that we're all seeing how all of our lives are different and how we can accommodate different shifts, different rotations, different work from home, different scheduling. So you're gonna definitely see a shift and how people are connected, how they engage and increase use of technology. And you're definitely gonna see, as you know, MassBio, you're definitely gonna see more meetings and events and conferences being held virtually. So until there is a vaccine, workplaces will have to incorporate new practices and protocols to support the social distancing that's being required and increase sanitation if and when more non-essential businesses do return to work. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. Big changes. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned, you know, balancing out the work and all the efforts that your member organizations and your own organization are working on with this idea of self-care and supporting them through that. What's your favorite way to practice self-care? Oh, gosh. Uh, my favorite way of practicing self-care, because sometimes I'm, I'm what you call probably an ambient Ambivent, is that what it is? People who are both introverts. Oh, oh uh, ambivert. Ambivert. <laughs> yeah, we talk about that a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, um, so I get that. It's just like, I love being around people, but it's like, I want to go back to social distancing on my own terms. You know, it's just like uh, sometimes on the weekend, I just want that time to myself because I love being with people during the week, but sometimes I want that, that downtime and it's just things that I've had to do to uh, mentally force myself into self-care. Um, prior to the coronavirus, 
outbreak while being at mass bio, they call it gaining the mass bio 15 pounds. Of course, you know, I like to exceed, I have to go beyond that. So of course I gained a little bit more than that. So it took me forever to lose 18 pounds. So I've been fighting that because I think now I don't have to go back to school for anything. I've become a professional snackologist. Yes. You know, chocolate chip cookies are softer. They have more richer taste. So it's been pretty hard to try to uh, balance self-care, work productivity, deliverables, cutting back on the trips to the refrigerator because I didn't want to put on the Corona pounds or for, if you're a scientist, the Corona kilos. So I'm trying to keep <laughs> those off. So it's um, balancing self-care is managing what's known as important, prioritizing and making time for family, friends, responsibility, connecting with checking in with our teammates that not, are not official calls, just checking in with them. So I want to make sure that during this time, I want to keep off the Corona pounds. And after talking about this, I don't know if you know my colleague, uh, Laura Rudberg, she started Mass Bio Moves. She is a certified fitness course instructor. So now we have Mass Bio Moves Thursday morning at 7.15. Nice. And it's just a, a great way to still keep connected with your teammates and the industry. And you know, you, you get kind of confident in seeing each other in spandex where you may not have done so in reality, so. <laughs> you know, it is really funny how I have like, a few things to say. First of all, we joke that it's, yeah, it's the COVID-15, but maybe it should That's be really real. called the COVID-19. The COVID-19. Yeah. The COVID-19 puts on the COVID-19. But on a COVID-20, probably. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, it occurred to me, as you were saying earlier, too, and what you just said about, um, you know, seeing everybody in spandex and, and also about seeing, you know, people who have kids and seeing them in their space. In some ways, this is like the great equalizer. Absolutely. And it's creating a sense of empathy that maybe we didn't have before when we were all in the workplace. You know, we all had to dress a certain way, not dress specifically a certain way, but you know what I mean, um, and be a certain way. This allows uh, that inside look and it, it yeah, it's, it's kind, of, kind of wonderful in a terrible way, but wonderful also, so. <laughs> it is, it's like, this is who we are. We don't have to put on a front. I think we're getting to know each other, getting to know our families, getting to know, you know, we have our priorities at work and our deliverables, but also mm -hmm. what's a priority to that person. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I didn't know that your mom was living with you. How's your mom doing? Yeah. And, you know, you got two dogs. How are they dealing with you being at home? Because mm -hmm. my cat can't wait till we get our asses back to work. Oh, <laughs> uh, not mine. My cats are all about me right now. They're like, I I, they're like aggressive. I, I was love. actually telling my fiance this morning, I was like, oh, our cat's going to be so sad when I go back to work. And he was like, you're never going back to work. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, just to sort of one last thought on what you just shared, Rachel, it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot about this idea of like, you know, COVID as being the great equalizer. I think in a lot of ways, I would almost push back on that and say yeah. it's actually exposed how unequal yes. we all are. Totally. But to your point, what I think is really uh, really fascinating and in some cases really wonderful is that there's this new level of intimacy mm -hmm. where, you know, we're all doing this in different spaces. Rachel's on the West Coast, we're on the East Coast, but we're all looking into each other's homes and we're seeing those 
dogs and those cats and those kids and those grandparents and, you know, people keep commenting on the art that I have and my books and my purses and these are things I never thought random strangers on the internet would be like <laughs> judging me on. But we're, we're having this new level of connection and intimacy that has, I think, never really been been present and there's this quote that I've been thinking a lot about and I'm I'm totally blanking on where I heard it or who came up with it first but it was it's basically you know we're all in different boats but we're all in the same storm and I that's kind of what I come back mm. to where we all have these you know we're realizing how different our boats are but the storm is the same we're all in it together which is a really it's just such a fascinating point in our history and time where we're all experiencing this collectively in many yeah, ways. you have to be um, very mindful of that too, that we don't bring some of our bad habits from the physical office into Absolutely. our virtual world. So we mm. have to make sure you keep an eye out for majority culture. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure everyone's being heard and no one is being more uh, more heard than others. So we have to be very mindful that majority culture is not taking place or, or taking over or seizing that space and time and uh, when we need to discuss things critically, make sure everyone's being heard and being recognized. So we have to make sure the majority culture does not take over in our virtual world. Totally agree. Totally agree. And we have just one final question that we ask everyone because we love it. Tell us what you are currently geeking out about other than the work that you do. Oh God, I'm <laughs> such a total geek. I mean, <laughs> that's great. Good. So are we. <laughs> so embarrassing. I've written a couple of songs. I love watching my oh. crime drama. I'm in love with the BBC crime show. So yeah. oh, what's, your what's your top? What's your favorite? Oh, uh, Happy Valley, The Fall, Line of Duty, uh, Broadchurch. Yes. I could go on oh, and on. Good. It's like oh, Netflix has just totally opened up this, this world, this portal to me. I was like, my, my British crime shows, where have you been all my life? So. They, are, they are on. And there's one that is, um, it's also BBC. And it's not like crime, but it's a thriller. It's called Killing Eve. I'm writing it down right now. Yeah, I was so good. I have to. It's it's one of those shows that's been on like the back burner for a while for me. <laughs> they have a new season. I'm like very excited about it. So yeah, I love so. I love the crime thriller. I love that you write songs. Yes. Is that I, something um, you've done for a while, or is that a new thing? It's something I just done sporadically. Like they're not worthy of anyone listening to it other than the cats and the teddy bears no one else needs to hear you mean we that. can't use that as background music for this podcast episode hey. well you know what i was talking to my boss about it because i wrote a song called the goal of equity so i need a guy Ooh. voice to be counterperson to what i'm saying and you know it's like a vision's just a vision if it's only in your head you know if you don't get it out it's, it's as good as dead so it's like you oh, have to awesome it, so you have to <laughs> I love I'm that. For that male counterpart to do that. So, part, so. so are you still looking for the male singer or? Well, I've approached my boss who is very hesitant. I said it would be so much fun if he did it, but I also approached someone that I know through an orchestra to ah. be the voice and play the piano. Cause you don't have to go full out. I just can't stop <laughs> at that point. We gotta have piano, guitar, yeah, of course. Know, tambourine, well, as, get the as, tambourine on a cat. So. As someone who has recently dabbled in the art of music production, uh, there are several, <laughs> Felicia's laughing at me rightly so, uh, there are so many apps now that you can download or you know, on your phone where you can um, recreate so many musical instruments and then record. So I'm just saying, you don't even need 
like the actual instruments. You could like, you could lay down some, as I like to say, fat beats on your computer and um, highly recommend it. And also there's a show, another show that I very much recommend called Songland, which if you, if you're interested in sort of the, the way um, music gets produced, it's awesome. Basically it's, you know, it's kind of a competition, but it's really, it's about finding the perfect song for a well-known artist. So they get these songwriters to come on and perform their song and then they tweak it. And it's fascinating to see how they change and how the songs evolve over time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I highly recommend it. Well, you make sure that you email me these websites, these apps, because I'm going to throw down, as you said, a fat track. Yes. I'm going to get some dope beats. Yes. That's what I'm (laughs) talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I will do. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, on that note, uh, depending on when this episode comes out, maybe we'll have a sick beat that will come in right now. <laughs> but other than that, thank you so much for, for chatting with us, geeking out with us, Edie. This has been awesome. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, well, I do have uh, a program called Make Shift Happen with Edie and I. That's on bi-monthly on Mondays that you bring that up. And that's where we're going to have discussions about, again, equity, diversity, and inclusion and engagement. So that's where the Edie part comes in. And Edie is the host. And um, our first program is going to be Monday, May 4th. And that's going to be with the head of diversity and inclusion, Santa Fe, North America. And she's going to talk about some of the things that they've done in regards to uh, getting people um, they have 14,000 employees. So how do you get everyone to transition from whatever they were at whatever space to working remotely? And she talks about that and she's going to talk about how they've been wrapping their arms around their employees and also the patient community. Mm-hmm. Our members are always keeping patients top of mind. So they're making sure that they are there for their patients and that they don't feel forgotten or left behind during this, nice. this critical time in our lives. That's wonderful. So we'll make sure to include that, all that information when we um, get this episode live. Thank you so much, Edie. Thank you guys. And if I can ever be of any other assistance, you know where to find me. Absolutely. Thank Same. you. Bye. Bye. Thanks to all our listeners for spending some time geeking out with us. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every review helps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next interview. And tell all your friends. New episodes drop every Tuesday. (laughs) Check us out at She Geeks Out on all the things. And in case you're wondering what those things are, they are Twitter, Insta, FB, otherwise known as Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, of course. Bye, Rachel. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia.